This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey, welcome everyone. We're starting near the end of the road of WrestleMania week with all the coverage that we've been bringing you over the last several days. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing so on all the great podcast gimmicks we got out there, make sure you subscribe. And more importantly, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a, like Rob Van Dam would say, not a five-star frog splash, but a five-star review. So frog splash down on that review button and give us five stars. Today, we're going to kind of get into AEW Dynamite. It's going to be a quick, easy express link compared to some of the other ones we've done. I mean, our normal podcast was around 40-something minutes. Our NXT predictions preview pod, which, by the way, the predictions have been pretty much on point. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself here, outside of a couple mis, miscues, but you know what? It is what it is. We we won't, we can't get these 100% right 100% of the time. Because if we do, people are going to get suspicious that we are the insiders. We, we, we don't want to be the insiders. We want to be the outsiders giving you the insider's perspective. But without further ado, let's get into the AEW Dynamite recap. We start off with a really fun opener between Hangman Adam Page and Platinum Max Caster. First of all, Adam Page still has some of the best game when it comes to lower thirds and, and Chirons, all that stuff. Did a great job having his mention, the little Nas X new track. <laughs> Absolutely love that. Also love the sound. This is the sign that they had in the crowd. They cut to during his entrance saying, Cowboy, more like Wow Boy. I don't know why. That maybe that tickled me in a certain way. I was just absolutely popping for the second half of it. Then we get to the pre-match wrap. This is what I wait for every single week. This is the best part of Dynamite. And he did another great job referencing Joe Biden, even Little Nas X and everything going on with him in those devil shoes. Let's go put it that way. Really good stuff. And, in fact, they make a breathalyzer joke. All you, you can just And then they cut it off because you can't say that on TNT. But you can say the S-word as many times as you want, apparently. It is what it is. Anthony Bowens gets immediately crushed by a big boot from Page, and then he just dominates like the early outset of the match. Bowens eventually talks trash to Page. That's enough to give Caster a chance to turn the tide. And it was just definitely good back and forth. They tease the boombox spot a lot here. Never really comes into play. Bowens keeps causing distractions. They had a really good, like, all of a sudden you have Caster going for the flying nothing. And just Page gets it right on the money with a great clothesline. And he goes to set up Deadeye again because he set it up on the apron earlier. But obviously he wasn't going to hit that. Really good stuff here. Boombox slides into the ring. That winds up breaking up the move. Caster hits him with a chain for the two count. That basically Bowens threw, threw to him after they took care, after the ref was distracted with the whole Boombox gimmick. But, of course, he moved out of the way. Hits a moonsault on Bowens. Bowens followed by the quick hits him. Yeah, moves on on Bowens and gets back up on the apron. Hits the buckshot lariat for the dub. Typical Adam Page match for the most part. Felt like, you know, there's a little bit too much of outside interference. But at the end of the day, it works out extremely well, at least in my opinion. Really good opener here. I want to see more of Max Caster in a singles role because I think at the end of the day, Bowens has only taken him so far. At least it's just the way I think about it. Then all of a sudden we hurry up and get to a promo with Death Triangle. They're doing an interview with Tony Schiavone. But before they even say a word, 
best friends comes out. They about to get started with the interview. Nope. Best friends comes out. I'm like, are we really just going to keep doing the same stuff we do with Sting every week? But I love that they came out, come out to the Pixies now. This is something I've mentioned before about Orange Cassidy having his theme changed to Where Is My Mind. I wasn't a fan of it, but it's starting to grow on me. I was much more, why not get Jefferson Starship rights to play Jane? Because that, that was his interesting music in the Indies, a lot like Jungle Boy. But Where Is My Mind works really good for this group. And, of course, they called back the feud from last year with Pac taking on Orange Cassidy, the great match they had at Revolution. Then doubling back to, if you if you watch AEW from the start, you might remember this. It was about a year ago around this time you had them tease a street fight. And the match never really happened. Eventually we wound up getting that, but it was more a street fight between best friends and proud and powerful. This That might have been the end game there. But now it's time to move on from the Nero feud to this. And I think it's absolutely great to kind of go back to this feud. And more importantly, now maybe we can have this be more of an overarching, overarching story between the two, especially after next week when Pac and Phoenix will be facing off against the Young Bucks. Talk about next week's show later. Because it looks really good for the first show post the NXT Wednesday Night Wars coming to an end. But again, I love the fact they called back this feud from last year before COVID ruined everything. They were, it never happened. Never really got off the ground, obviously, for a lot of different reasons. But I'm glad that we're starting to get back to that point. And we noticed that a little bit later in the next segment. But we have you know Trent cut a promo, but he can't talk. He, he can talk, but you can't hear him because Mike doesn't work to start the promo. Still does a solid enough job with it. And then he ends with probably one of my favorite moments of the show. The boys are back in town. It's official. Best friends are certified deadlockites and hog dippers. And then Chris Statlander is there too, which is also great. Because if you've watched BTE, you know they have their own little storyline and angle. So the fact that they're all together, it works. And I want to, and I have the fact that you have aliens and best friends, Titantron. So hell yeah, give, give the people what they want. Looking forward to seeing that. Then after the commercial, they show Mike Tyson. He's talking with Urban Meyer about God knows what, but it's still weird to see and think that, you know, Urban freaking Meyer is the head coach of the Jaguars. We're about to have Trevor Lawrence. And also, when is Trevor Lawrence showing up on Dynamite? Is it after the NFL draft? I would hope so. Or maybe during the rookie minicamps, you try and sneak an appearance in from him. As I tell you, that would probably wind up interesting a lot of people. Maybe not in the ring, but still, be cool to see him nonetheless. Then the year circle comes out. And just as about to start the promo, Jericho's like, we're going to talk about it after this break. And I love the fact they did that. It was a little cheesy. It's a lot like when you watch game shows and it's deliberately timed out to where they're going to say it. But no, we're not because we're just going to go hit a break. That's perfect. I love the fact they did that. Sammy Guevara brought back the sign gimmick on Fight TV, which was pretty funny to me. Again, bringing that back is always a good idea. And he, he brought the sign gimmick back. Absolutely love it. Jericho mentioned he wasn't very good at chemistry. And you know what? I was the same way. Junior in high school was the year I took chemistry, mind you. Physical in ninth grade it was physical science, I think. I did okay on that. It was it was middle of the road. Biology, eh, I think I passed that. Chemistry was the one where I struggled at, not gonna lie. So Jericho, I feel your pain. Then again, I think everybody kind of does. Not everybody's good at learning chemistry. Let Champion also mentioned he only brought MGF into the group to keep him under his thumb, not keep him under his wing, which is a great line to say the least. He also just rips MGF a new one a little bit later on, saying that the scarf gimmick is lame as hell. He did it five years ago. The fact they brought that up, brought the list, 
up. And also that was five years ago. Man, I'm getting old. I absolutely love this entire thing. And then you had, you know, them ripping FTR saying, can't tell which one, which is which. A low-key, like, smart comment. Because if you remember when FTR, uh, back then they were called the Revival in WWE, whenever they were in NXT, they actually had chance of which one's Dash, which one's Dawson. I always remembered more the H means that he has hair. But it's now, it's not Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder. It's Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood. Both of those have H's somewhere in there. So I think Dax is baldy, and you've got hair that's going to be Cash. At least it's the way I'm going to think about based off of the past way they wrote their name in the WWE. But really good stuff here. He is just absolutely destroying everybody and burying Sean Spears, saying, you know, the only reason why he knows who he is is because of the fact he called me like 10 years after he got released by the Fed, which, again, another great line and so much great stuff here. And then comes the major announcement. We're getting Blood and Guts 3. We're getting, not Blood and Guts 3. We're getting Blood and Guts on my birthday. Hell yeah. And I mentioned earlier the fact that we're getting, you know, this building up. And I mentioned this on Monday's pod, in fact, because I actually got a question from one of our guys in the hotline and saying, you know, hey, I think that this is going to be something. Like you're going to see the actions come back and they'll come up with, with stipulations. I honestly said that this is going to be more along the lines of everything. I love the fact that they built this entire thing around, you know, blood and guts. It absolutely is necessary. Yeah, they kind of look a little bit like geeks a little bit later on, but that's that's a different conversation. But JR actually had a really good point for once. I give him hell, but honestly, he had a great point after the promo ended. This was an immortal promo. Overall, I enjoyed the first part of this show a whole hell of a lot. And there's so much more to get to. I mean, we haven't even got to some really good matches, which we're going to get to in a few. But so far, just the two or three segments we've gotten, they all did something that I wanted to do. They either had a really good match, they progressed the storyline, or introduced a new feud. That's what I'm wanting to see. And we'll get a new feud with that triangle of best friends down the road. So that's huge. Inner Circle, we're building towards one of the most, like, gruesome matches in AEW and if not pro wrestling history, you're finally going to go ahead and pull the trigger on this blood and guts. We don't know what exactly it's supposed to be. We're supposed to get it last year, but COVID knocked it out. This is a great show just in terms of stuff that I like. Then we get to Jurassic Express versus Bear Country. Really fine match here. I kind of jumped in a little bit late, but Luchasaurus hit a massive dive onto their opponents when I walked back in the room. JR actually saying it was a Hibernating start by Bear Country. I laughed at that. One of the few times I actually like enjoyed some of the commentary JR has done. They take back momentum in terms of Bear Country by isolating Luchasaurus for a good bit of the match. The double team stuff they had from Bear Country, I, I'm starting to like grow, it's starting to grow on me a little bit. And it had like one carry the other into a cannonball spot, which looked brutal. They also had another double team where it was like the electric chair, but he was going to drop him from the height, which was going to be absolutely nuts. But Luchasaurus sits up, distracts him. Jungle Boy kicks Bear Bronson in the knee. And then Luchasaurus gets the win with the Mesozoic Moonsault. By the way, that's a great name for a move. And it's just like, as the match ended, I mean, they show the finish. Obviously, you know, Luchasaurus got the win. But they really focus in on Jungle Boy. And it made me realize, like, one, it's great. It's so cool to have him have the Tarzan Boy theme song. I don't talk about it enough. But the fact they gave that to him was amazing. And it's just like, 
he is going to be a top star. I don't know if it's going to be right after he finally ends things with, you know, the Jurassic Express, but it feels like that could be a great step in the direction. Then we get to QT Marshall. He had a really good promo saying he, that Cody considers himself, surrounds himself, excuse me, with vanilla midgets to get himself over. It even calls him off-brand Sting. Really great stuff. And then they also kind of like set up like this group as one, a legit threat last week. And two, this package gave you backstory. That way you can understand the group and understand the origins and the whys and all that. It's something that kind of is missing in modern wrestling. And it's something that I want to see continue to be a thing going forward. I want to see this angle through and see how it goes. Because I'm almost certain this is going to be a long-standing feud. The Nightmare Family versus whatever they're calling it. The Nightmare Factory team. I mean, Anthony Agogo, Aaron Solo. And then you've got, you know, the other guy whose name escapes me right now. Oh, Nick Camaroto. That's the other guy. That's the big dude. But them establishing these guys as characters in and of itself, QT Marshall being the leader of the, of the pack, that's really cool. I want to see more of that stuff. But again, cool stuff. Then we get to, every week we get it. I don't know why we get it, but we do. A Sting interview that really doesn't lead to Sting actually saying much in terms of an interview. It's Lance Archer, Sting talking, and he puts over Archer, surprisingly, saying he's a main eventer, chastises Jake Roberts for not teaching him how to be that guy and basically trying to motivate him to be that guy. He feels like he could be in that spot again, just don't disappear, which may be a reference to him having COVID a while back and not being able to be part of a show a few months ago. I don't know. But I'm, I'm really not sold on Lance Archer being like a top main eventer. I get why he said that, because you don't want to bury, in a, bury a big dude. But I've been watching this guy for a long time. Back when he was in TNA, he was never a legitimate threat. He had a really great look, but also at the same time, he had a tramp stamp. In ECW, the dying days of ECW developmental, he was very much a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. There wasn't anything. It was more just nondescript about him. He just felt like another dude. And whenever you're a guy that's about oh, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten, somewhere along those lines, and you just look like another guy, it's a bad, it's a bad look. But then again, when you look at him compared to AEW guys, he looks like a giant. But they don't treat him like a giant. And I'm just not sure if there's ever going to be an opportunity for him to be that guy. I hope he does. He's, I think the Murderhawk monster gimmick has been really great. He's carried that thing in New Japan. He's turned, he's converted it over to stateside, and it's worked well. But he's got to have the right dance partners to truly get over. I don't think Darby is going to bring the absolute best out of him. I just don't see that in my mind right here, right now. But still, really good segment. I think it creates some dis- dissension within Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. Who's going to help who or who's going to leave who not too far down the road? Then we get to a Team Taz backstage segment saying, oh, hey, everything's fine here. Everything's fine. But they show Hook. He looks absolutely yoked. And 100%, I just thought about it. Like, whenever I saw it, I was like, he is Tom Holland, but, like, really jacked. And it's a good look. I can't wait to see what he does inside the 20 by 20 squared circle, whenever that may be. We get to J.D. Drake versus Darby Allen, TNT Championship. Early on, the good, good storytelling between Jake and Allen, where it basically... It's a lot like last week when we saw the John Silver matchup, or two weeks ago. feels like it was shorter than that. 
But then in time is a flat circle and all that stuff, and we and the world's weird. So we get Ryan Nemeth. He tries to interfere, but Sting takes out the trash. Also, you wind up having him uh, another member of the pretty party or whatever, kind of play distraction, but then Sting beats them up, which I like that idea. And J.D. Drake had a really cool spot, but probably my spot of the night, no doubt, with the Irish whip on the outside, on, and he basically throws Darby into the ropes, and Darby bounces back, Then it's just a badass lariat, damn near beheading him. It was such a cool spot. I would, I wish we'd see more stuff like that. But again, it's J.D. Drake dominating for a good bit of the match, but Darby gets his spots and gets his stuff in. It wins after a Yoshi tonic, then also hits the coffin drop to win the match. And it's yet another great match for the face of TNT. After the match, Hardy family office, Muggs, Allen, and they go for a table spot. But Sting and the Dark Order fend off the bad guys and the bunny, and Ty Conti eventually go at it on ringside. And that match that was already scheduled is coming up next. But first, we got to get a backstage interview in with Jericho promoting Blood and Guts, but the Pinnacle interrupts that. Drag him out to back to the ring. MJF chokes Jericho with a scarf, and they start beating up on him even more. FTR hits the spike pile driver. They bolted the door shut to make sure Inner Circle doesn't get involved. And just before Wardlow is about to powerbomb Jericho straight to hell and take him out, they have Mike Tyson come out. And he scares everybody off, and he starts attacking Sean Spears. And some of those punches, I think Shane McMahon would have basically face palmed himself like you dummy bad look and also why did everyone stop for tyson i get it you know he's the baddest man on the planet you want to put him over at the same time it's one guy versus seven like you have all these guys that are legitimate badasses and you got big old warlow like all you have got to do is just take a couple bumps for him if you're if you're willing to because he's not he's not the same guy he was back in the 80s knocking fools out like it was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, or now it's called Punch-Out because, well, things happened in the 80s. But it made them look a little little geek, I would say. But also, maybe think, they did it before in WWE. Who's to say that Tyson isn't going to turn on Jericho down the road when the time comes? But good segment. Now we get to the bunny taking on Ty Conti. It's not her best showing, but I think it's just the fact that there was so much going on towards the end of the match. I just did not care. There was so much crap going on, but the finish was really cool, though. Ty Conti won after the Superplex and also hit a Hammerlock DDT. It was basically all, not one solid motion, but damn, if it wasn't impressive to see that all go down. But, of course, you know, it was overbooked. Too much stuff going on outside the ring, including, you know, Conti trying to use Hikaru Shida's kendo stick. Shida saves the day, grabs the stick, and that leads into the finish. And honestly, I'd love to see Ty Conti and Hikaru Shida be a face versus face fight because I think that she absolutely has a chance to get it done. She's improved by leaps and bounds. A strong nominee for improved wrestler of the year as of right now. And also, you got to love seeing minus one celebrating after the match. Now we get to next week's card stack. First card post the Wednesday Night Wars Darby, Matt Hardy for the TNT title. Red Velvet versus Jade Cargill. Young Bucks taking on Pac and Phoenix for the AEW Tag Team titles. So you got two title matches and a and a grudge match already announced for the show. I can't wait. Then we get to Young Bucks and John Moxley versus the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega. Starts with Carl Anderson and Mac Jackson in the ring. Eventually Kenny gets involved. And it's a really fun start early on. 
Then we get to the fight TV during picture in picture. JR and Don Callis basically ribbon Tony, calling him a parrothead. It was just great and saying that he flies in for Georgia. It was weird, but I laughed for it because I'm not going to lie. It was funny. Moxley takes over. Great hot sequence. Everyone getting suplexes. Good Brothers turn the match around. And then they get great heat throughout the rest of this match. And I love what they did with the storytelling with the Young Bucks not wanting to super kick Kenny and not wanting to do the certain things. In fact, they didn't want to hit the BTE trigger to finish the job in this really good main event. Of course, Moxley gets frustrated as hell, starts trying to amp him up. He hits two paradigm shifts, gets the bulldog choked and says, screw it, I'm just going to go ahead and hit paradigm shift again. But the Young Bucks decide to super kick Mox, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Kingston tries to run in. Anderson Gallows hit Magic Killer on him. And then they would hit Moxie with another one of those. And that's the match. Omega gets the pin on Mox. And I kind of we kind of figured that was going to happen because it just felt inevitable. But it was a great finish. Loved it. After the match, the Young Bucks officially joined the group by hitting the double super kick. And they all hug as they go off the air. The Elite, the Bullet Club, these boys are back together again. Fantastic stuff right here. And I, I enjoyed this show overall. It's probably in my ratings. It's a 7.5 to 8 out of 10. It's not a 10 out of 10 because it's very tough to do that any day of the week, but especially WrestleMania week when watching God knows how many shows. This is about like a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. But then the main event happened and bumped up to about 7.5. There's some stuff I liked. I just didn't care about the semi-main event. The stuff in, like the Derby... J.D. Drake match, I didn't care about J.D. Drake that much. But I cared more because of the intrigue surrounding the title. Because, again, it's that fighting champion gimmick. You never, it's basically that any given Wednesday, you can have somebody beat you and you lose the title. And at the end of the day, Darby doesn't necessarily need the title, but he's doing a great job holding the title and being the face of TNT. Dynamite show, and it's been a dynamite week so far near the end of the road. Tomorrow, we'll get into brass tacks about NXT TakeOver Nights 1 and 2. And that all wraps up Saturday. WCW Final Nitro, 10, 20 years later, excuse me. We're going to talk about that and so much more. So make sure you listen to the Cage Strong Style Podcast. However you get your podcast, make sure you leave a subscription today.